What's going on, you wonderfully whimsical wombats? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name's James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by the wondrous Will, also known as Hooda Hey, yo! I'm here, James. Another week, another podcast. Welcome in. How you doing, man? Yeah, all good, man. All good. Really excited to crack on with the finale of our Completionist's Corner, or at least the finale of this chapter of Completionist's Corner. Yeah. Spoilers ahead. Well, yeah. It's been spoilers, spoilers the whole time, abound. technically. Yeah. That's kind of the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we go relatively in-depth into the story. I mean, if, if you're not interested in spoilers, just turn this Probably, off. Probably, yeah. Completionist's Corner is not for you. I think this is kind of more for the people that uh, want to take a deep dive into games that they're either already familiar with, or have no intention of playing themselves. <laughs> and there might be a small fraction of people that actually maybe potentially go out and pick up one of these titles as a result of this, which is always interesting and exciting as well. If we can inspire the people to play this game, and particularly this one, because it's a fucking awesome game, so people should play it. Agreed, you know? so, agreed. So hopefully if you know, if we can get at least one person into the game, that's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, dear me. But we'll get into that a bit later on. Let's crack on with the socials and then get into the catch-up. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. Now then, brother, let's get into that catch up, baby! So, man, hit me up. What have you been playing this week, bud? Uh, well, this week, I'm sorry to say, has been a very skinny week for me in terms of gaming. Uh, I've mostly stuck with Vampire Survivors this week, uh, which I have actually made quite a lot of progress in, which is is great, obviously. But, uh, yeah, not all that much to talk about from me. Um, I suppose one point that I will make is that I unlocked a few more characters in the game, uh, which actually changes up the way you play quite a bit. One of them I unlocked is a white dog called Osol, and it kind of runs around... Uh, you're familiar with the Okami game, right? The uh, game where you play as the uh, wolf deity Amaterasu. Yeah, even though I called it a wolf boy as episode, whatever it was but yes you made me very clear that it's a fucking god yeah. just, just <laughs> uh, you play as it, it looks more like a labrador if anything but uh you sort of run around as that and it emits flowers much like amaterasu does not quite in a path but it does sort of like follow you in a bit of a trail right. uh, which do damage so like rainbow farts kind of like yeah kind of like rainbow farts with petals sprinkled in there as well roses really smell like boo boo that's quite a fun character to play as, but there's not really much else to say there other than the fact that you just play as a, as a dog, really. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, it's pretty interesting and cool to hear that you, you've unlocked quite a few characters because I know from playing it myself, I've put like a couple of hours in and I've already got, I think, four or five characters. You said you'd unlocked a further two or three last week. You've got another couple this week. It's good to see that the roster's growing. That's that's nice. Yeah, the roster in this game is pretty big. I'm just trying to do quick maths, but I'm awful at it. So four, <laughs> eight... 12, 16. Boom! 2 plus 2 is 4. Minus 1, that's 3 quick maths. 20. I've got 21 characters in my roster so far. So, oh, yeah, the roster is pretty big. That's huge, yeah. Uh, and I think that there may well be some more characters to unlock because I'm currently, they're on kind of like a, a grid of 4 and there is 3 more spaces left. So, I don't know whether they'll remain blank or not. I am aware that there is DLC for the Steam version of this game. I don't know whether they've just built the DLC into this version or whether I just don't have that and that could explain the remaining spaces. I was going to say it could be DLC. 
Yeah, yeah. Another one of the characters that I unlocked is someone called Papia. And she has a weapon which looks just like a, you know, a piece of text, essentially. It's some sort of spell. But it emits like a kind of a column out of the top and bottom of your character, which is quite a wide arc and does damage. So essentially, it's just like really good for traveling up and down on the screen. And over time, as you upgrade it, the the range of it gets very broad. But it pretty much covers the entirety of your screen up and downwards. So uh, yeah, it's got a hell of a lot of range on it there. And it hits twice. It kind of sends it out. And then as it comes back, it also hits again. So it's like a fountain going up and down yeah pretty much yeah a fountain of magical kind of yeah rainbow sparkles again i guess the The final character is probably the most interesting of the three that i unlocked is called minna and it's a werewolf character that starts off with the evolved whip so i think that the evolved whip it goes forwards and backwards and also regenerates your health as you attack people every time it hits them so you start off with a really powerful power but the range of it is quite small but then i think every minute or every couple minutes your might, projectile speed, duration, area of attack, and cooldown change. So that can lead to extremely varying abilities. You can be one minute using a tiny evolved whip. The next minute you can be using a whip that takes up half the screen. So you can suddenly become very powerful and then you can suddenly lose that power as well. So your stats vary wildly throughout the game. But when you're powerful, you're super, super powerful. And I guess the tactic with that character is then just to make yourself protected enough so that when you do lose all of your area of attack and might and projectile speed and all that you're still able to sort of survive the lull yeah it makes sense like the ultimate min max yeah li- yeah it's literally min maxing <laughs> you're all min or all max all yeah. the time <laughs> other than that though man like i said it's been a pretty quiet week for me just been spending a lot of time playing vampire survivors what about you so i have played two things mainly this week shout outs to risen which i'm still playing from the last couple of weeks not really much to update on, kind of more of the same, but I am in the last chapter now, probably one more session away from finishing. So fingers crossed that'll be next week and I'll be able to talk about it a bit more. Well, will you get any time to play Risen, given the title that you're about to bring up? Oh, yeah. You're going to go back to it still? I'll make time for it, yeah. Right, okay. (laughs) I'm so close to the finish that I may as well. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. It would be silly not to. But the only other game I've been playing this week has actually only been released today, technically, but because I'm a baller and got myself the big dick balls out edition, (laughs) I got to to play three days early. And that, of course, is Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, man, I've been excited to hear about you playing this. Go on, hit us up then. How does it start and uh, what are your experiences so far? Fair bit to unpack with it. It's, you know, it's quite a traditional RPG. It's not really pushing the boat out too much in terms of style, if you like. I don't think anyone expected it to be pushing the boat out in terms of RPG elements necessarily. No. Have you got a skill tree? Skill points? Upgrade points? Sort of. Bonfires? (laughs) Did they go Dark Souls? (laughs) No, there's no bonfires. Well, are there bonfires? I mean, there's called flu flames and it acts as your fast travel points. So I guess kind of. Kind of, right, okay. It does have dodge rolling though. So, you know, who knows? (laughs) A stamina bar? (laughs) No, no stamina bar. But yeah, so it looks nice. But off the bat, I had a big problem with this in that the character creator was shit. Like, honestly, it's really bad. Like, you don't even have sliders to do things like size of nose, size of eyes, eye space, or anything like that. You get to pick a male or female body archetype, basically. You have facial structure is like a choice of 16 presets or whatever. Right. And then you can pick a hairstyle, hair color, and things like that. And you can do some things like eye color, a few scars, freckles, things of that nature, but really limited, really limited, really disappointing. 
That's a shame. Some of the promo footage that I saw led me to kind of believe that there was going to be a bit more than that, but this sounds like you're essentially selecting from a range of presets and just mashing like four or five things together, which is a shame. The characters look good, I'll give them that, but it's just not good. And there's only two voices, one male voice, one female voice. Oh, okay. You can change the pitch on them, sure, but it's very, it's like nominal and it's just done on like a auto-tune slider. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really disappointing. You couldn't make yourself, is what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, no, I still made myself. It just, it was very disappointing how limiting it was, given that it's a single-player game. Yeah, yeah. It's an RPG that they're probably expecting you to spend at least 40 to 60 hours in, I'm imagining. To not have a character creation suite that's a bit more fit for purpose was very disappointing. Mm, mm-hmm. That being said, the game itself is pretty fun. The gameplay is what you'd expect, really, from an RPG. Um, it kind of reminds me, in terms of very general playstyle of The Witcher Three. All right. In okay. terms of like being like open world enough that you can sort of wander around, you can wander outside of the school, go to various hamlets and towns and things like Hogsmeade. Can you do that right out of the bat, or are you sort of led down a path for a while? You can do it right out of the bat, but you're limited in what you can do because a lot of your progress is locked behind main quests. Right, yeah. So, for example, I've gone to a fair few places. I'm like level 20 or whatever, but I'm still doing main quests where the quest level, I think the last one I did was like 13. Oh, okay, okay. Because you can sort of go off and do what you want, but then you do a certain main quest and you'll unlock a spell that allows you to do something or your broomstick or something like that that just makes the game sort of evolve. You can sort of unlock more of the branching paths, it sounds like. You unlock a spell to get a certain door open or whatever. Uh, Not so much that sort of thing. It's more you get spells that then allow you to actually complete various things in the game to then move the story on to then unlock new features, areas, spells seeds equipment whatever it may be seeds yeah because you you do like classes and stuff which oh right so there's herbology and you grow your own plants are the classes like mission related or do the classes happen a bit in real time like in uh the canis canim edit bully series you know where they would just happen throughout the day kind of a bit of both so in my experience so far and for context i probably put 10 or so hours into it some of them are mission-based and you sort of have the lesson, but you don't actually really do much. There's like one mini-game to unlock all spells, basically, which is press various buttons along a line. Oh, right. They still have... I remember that on the Game Boy Advance version of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so some of them, where they're like that, they've, they're like mission-specific, but then there are other things where um, you get assignments from your teachers oh, right. to unlock more spells, and they can involve like doing a couple of tasks and then going back to a classroom and you'll get like a mini-cutscene almost of like a lesson going on but you're not actually controlling it that's as real time as it gets i suppose fair enough fair enough and what about the combat in the game i've seen a lot of people being levitated into the air and then like pile drived into the floor are you uh <laughs> i don't know about the into pile driving stuff no, not, can... not 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 physically but just like just smashed into the floor sort of thing. yeah yeah i don't know about that they might fall naturally i haven't i haven't learned smash spell yet okay so yeah you there. need to get that smash spell out mate Smash! but yeah levioso was one of the first spells you learn in the game which yeah. is levitate and then you can like pepper them with spells while they're suspended right they're like yeah you can do that, through yeah. the air <laughs> Yeah, that's cool, and they kind of ragdoll a little bit. Yeah, that yeah, that looks sweet. fun. <laughs> and brutal, though. These are, like, children a lot of the time, aren't they? That you're fighting, no, or are you fighting adults? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you're fighting goblins most of the time. Uh, 
And this game, it's set in the kind of like the 1800s or something like that, isn't it? Victorian era. I don't know about exactly when. I think that is the 1800s. Yeah. Long before the times of Harry Potter and all that. No, yeah, it's it's not even Harry Potter related. They're very, very careful not to even have that. It's called Hogwarts Legacy. It's not called Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy. No, they're very, yeah, yeah. They're distancing themselves from that whole thing. Mm, mm. But yeah, the combat is um, in general pretty good. Enemies will put up a shield that, depending on the colour of the shield, you need to use a certain style of spell to break the shield, and then they're vulnerable to damage from your sort of main wand attack. Okay, okay. So, for example, the Levioso spell is an orange spell, so if they get an orange shield, you'd have to use that or another orange spell. Uh, I haven't unlocked any more orange ones at the moment, so I can't say what they are. Mm. Purple ones, the spell that I've got is Accio, which is pull stuff towards you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have just unlocked another one, which I forget the name of it. Um, I think it might be called Repulso or something. It's Push Away. That used to be called Flipendo in the old uh, games. Flipendo is the one... So I know that is coming, but that, I think, is actually just Flip Someone. Oh, okay, okay, right, yeah. Because I've had a look at the achievements, and there's an achievement for Flipendoing a cow. Like, sometimes. <laughs> cow tipping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than that, it's sort of what you'd expect. As I say, there's dodge rollings you you can lock on. You do have like a bar, kind of like God of War, I suppose. You know, you have the the rage bar that you fill in God of War and then it has almost two segments and you can fill up one segment and you can use it for a little bit or fill up both and you can use it for ages. Yeah, fair enough. It kind of has that sort of thing, but the the more you combo, you get certain ancient magical powers. I'm not going to go into it too much because story spoilers. Yeah, fair enough. And then you can sort of do basically a one-shot kill finish with each segment. So you get kill in captions, a one-shot incapacitate. Oh, you're actually killing these people. (laughs) It's it's called a finisher. Yeah, yeah. that's so funny. I was just about to ask you, like, are there fucking execution moves and shit like that? (laughs) Yes, there are. Well, they disappear and they sort of die and disappear into thin air. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's that's as good as dead. So I don't don't know if they're dying, (laughs) but they they disappear and you don't see them again. Never to be seen again. I think that's pretty. sounds pretty definitive to me. Give me a little bit of background information on the story of this game. My understanding is that you're a Hogwarts student that's joined there as some sort of undercover thing going on. The main premise of the story, without again getting into too much, is that you're a fifth year student and you get the invite to Hogwarts because it kind of doesn't really go into how they find you, but they do. Mm-hmm. And then basically one of the professors of Hogwarts called Professor Fig has been teaching you sort of in the summer holidays to give you like the basics and stuff. Right, okay. Uh, you've been using a secondhand wand at this point. And he then takes you to Hogwarts for the start of term. Mm, mm. You know, you actually end up traveling with his friend who's a member of the Ministry of Magic. His friend gives him a package that's from Professor Fig's dead wife. Some nonsense ensues (laughs) um, whereby your character can see whispers of an ancient magic. This isn't too spoilery because I think this is part of the documentation that comes with the game. Right, right. Um, But you can see whispers of ancient magic. So you see something on the box that Professor Fig's given from his wife. That then leads to a bunch of shenanigans and the story goes from there. Right, okay, okay. So there is something special about your character in the sense that they can see these old old magic science yes and from what i've gathered so far again i don't think this is too spoilery there are various wizards and witches throughout the years that end up joining hogwarts as a fifth year who have this power it might be something to do with the fact that those of a fifth year age it matures in them that would be again in line with that kind of law yeah (laughs) exactly and that would be why that they're not discovered until their fifth years because that's when it matures i mean that 
potential possibility. Mm, mm. But the sort of overarching story beat is that um, there's a goblin lord called Ranrock who is kind of after the secret that you are now part of, if you like. Right, right. And so you're sort of trying to discover what's going on, basically, whilst fighting Ranrock and his cronies throughout the whole thing. The story's intriguing. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And it's keeping me entertained so far with the side quests. The mini games are quite interesting. Uh, there's no Quidditch. I've heard that. That was disappointing. And they say there's no Quidditch this year, but you do have broomstick races and things like that. So there's bits and bobs. Do you reckon Quidditch might make it into a DLC? I don't know enough about the game yet yeah. to make that comment. There is a Quidditch pitch, though, so it wouldn't rule Yeah, out. all I've heard is that it's they have the Quidditch pitch, but it's been confirmed that Quidditch isn't in the base game. So who knows if yeah. that means it will turn up in DLC or not. Who knows? I, I'm reserving my judgment on what I think about the game fully until i've played it yeah. more there, there have been some slight issues nothing too game breaking but the frame rate drops every so often runs at a stable 60 for about 90 percent of the time but it's dropped to as low as five it just chunks every so often <laughs> oh dear yeah i had to turn ray tracing off because it just doesn't work with ray tracing right, right. it's just too way too it's like that but more inconsistent yeah, yeah but to be honest with ray tracing off it doesn't look that different i'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about this game more man i really want to hear more about just how dense hogwarts castle is and all these sort of different things that you can encounter across the various corridors i imagine the moving stairs and things like that will still be playing a part i can tell you all that now i've explored the castle thoroughly. oh you've all done everything already okay okay that's uh that's interesting yeah, that's where you start the main base of the game is in hogwarts there's plenty of secret rooms i'm sure i haven't found yet but yeah i pretty much explored that yeah thing. yeah moving staircases are a thing uh, loads of decorations the pictures come to life the ghosts come out of the wall and actually like you know random encounters and things like red dead you'll have that like ghosts just chasing each other with axes that's cool that's what i wanted like spontaneous that. events happening in a real living breathing environment yeah and you get all that even in the outside world there's people walking along the paths people running if they're late for class some people have books that they're levitating around them while they're carrying oh cool and there's conversations that happen the school feels populated for the most part except for at night time where it's dead which is as it should yeah, of be course, it, yeah. it, it does all that stuff well awesome no that sounds really good that's a lot of the things i was hoping for this game sounds like my box is ticked yeah so no uh, it's certainly a very promising start i look forward to seeing how the story develops and hopefully it can keep me going I, i've for some reason i've decided i'd play this game on the hardest difficulty setting possible and i'm hoping that that doesn't sort of slow me down too much and annoy me but uh yeah I will continue to give updates as I play it more. I think that about does the catch up, man. So why don't we move on to some news? So first news story this week is a familiar one for our regular listeners. We're going back to a simpler time, an earlier episode. Those tender early steps of the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you remember the days when it was just Jim Ryan being a c***? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> The heady days of Jim Ryan being a prick. <laughs> Britain's competition watchdog, the CMA, has threatened to block Microsoft's $69 billion merger with Activision Blizzard, or at least force them to sell the best performing video game involved in the deal, Call of Duty. I gotta say, I love the way that you really had to fight with yourself as you said 69 to like add a little twang on there. 69! <laughs> Well, the article from Game Run very um, conveniently puts, in brackets, 57 billion pounds. Oh, that's boring. No one cares about 57 billy. 69 billy. Exactly, that's what you want. But yes, so this is basically the CMA sort of saying, 
Right guys, so we've looked at it and basically we think that it could potentially distort the market if you guys have this one. So you can still take over the company, but maybe you can remove Activision and just take Blizzard, which is genuinely something that was suggested, I think. Or just sell Call of Duty altogether. But what's even more interesting about this is that despite the CMA coming out with this, Microsoft aren't asked really and they still think the deal is going to go through, no problem. To be honest with you, a part of me wonders if that's just part of the process of this whole thing is when you've got an acquisition of this scale, is it not just the duty of these organisations to be flagging this stuff and they're identifying all the potential stuff, but eventually they're just identifying potential for this stuff to happen. They're not saying this will definitively happen. And it's it's just they're just doing their job by reporting this stuff, really. But then it's built into this thing like, oh my God, they've said, that, you know, it's just like hyping it up in the media. Oh my God, they, they've raised all these objections and stuff like that. It's like, no, they've just identified potential for these things to happen in this deal no yeah absolutely right this is kind of feels like the the continuing case is is really being dragged out and there's more and more moving pieces to it as we go the case is growing in terms of it's not just activision and blizzard now they're talking about the cloud gaming as well i think that they're trying to sort of bring every piece of evidence to the forefront that microsoft are this evil all-consuming company essentially <laughs> A lot of the arguments against this are essentially ignoring the massive precedent for exclusivity rights for massive IPs and consoles essentially getting by and selling their consoles based on those exclusivity rights. You can't one second say that we're absolutely, you know, we're going to be against crossplay initially, we're going to be against any sort of shared titles, God forbid the fort of a character from R.I.P. ending up on another console, or even, God forbid, an Xbox logo ending up on a PlayStation 2 version of a game or something like that. And, you know, they've got this massive divide that's typically been sort of led by Sony, but then the moment that Sony sees something to lose out of this, then they're raising all of these concerns. It just reeks of hypocrisy. Well, yeah, it's all nonsense. And the people that are saying that the cloud gaming is another thing that they're trying to monopolize, it's like, they're the only ones putting money into it. If you want to be a part of the cloud gaming, then get involved. Google tried and they fucked up. Offer a comparable service first, because I don't think that, uh, you know, I I'm sure that Xbox has exclusivity for a lot of these titles that are appearing on Games Pass, at least that's I'm sure built into the contract for some of these. But it's not like PlayStation can't do the same thing, you know? It's not like PlayStation can't work out deals with these studios as well and be as active as Microsoft has been in this. It's all just sort of last-ditch trying to desperately cling, cling on to what they've got. Even though part of this deal, Microsoft are offering 10-year deals to still give everyone the game and not go exclusive and things like that, they'll lose loads of money from the PlayStation player base. It's just there's no incentive for them to do it. It just doesn't make sense to me, the whole thing. But we'll see. I'm sure there's many more twists and turns in this story before the, before it's out. So let's see what happens, man. Uh, our second story comes from February's Nintendo Direct because we got a brand new trailer showing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Exciting for me. Not James is not interested in this <laughs> one, but I am. I will try and get excited purely for our listeners' benefit, but Will's right. I couldn't give a shit. I'm still, I'm still reeling from the Breath Salty of the Wild Salty about trial. the Breath of the Wild challenge. <laughs> but this trailer, it was only a couple of minutes long, but we did get to see some sort of gameplay. We saw the world. We saw a few new game mechanics. And I've got to say, in terms of the world, it looks exactly the same. I don't think anyone was expecting any different. No, it's very much the same. 
even like the enemies themselves actually some of them at least could be just exactly the same models as well the red moon's exactly the same yes but is that red moon more constant or is it a bit more of just like a once every so often thing because in breath of the world it was very much like just a, a trigger for respawning the enemies that you killed in this one it looked like it was just in the sky for a while so is, is it uh, more who constant knows? who knows who knows yeah exactly but really aside from that i didn't see anything in the trailer that when i watched it that was too game-changing or groundbreaking other than we have a change in the way that we traverse the world yes yeah so in breath of the wild it was walking or horse for the most part basically horse um, motorbike outside. if you got the dlc yeah i was gonna say or well, outside of the sort of user created methods of transport should we say as well yeah in they terms were awesome. of using yeah, the physics yeah. some pretty ingenious ideas in there as well very good ideas yeah but now we've got sort of ground-based car type things i suppose and then air-based hoverboards hover bike hover car type things i'm not really sure what they are what do you what do you think of those so i am quite excited by that i'm excited for the potential that that may well just be like a summonable platform that you can then control both for the fact that that is going to be a great way for getting around but also that is going to in my mind add loads of dimensions to the puzzles that they're going to be able to include in this game as well if you have some of these vehicles i would love to see how they're going to be implemented in solving puzzles it looks like you're able to control Link independently of the platform. And because it flies a bit like one of those uh, drones, as you tip it forward, it then flies forward sort of thing. That was definitely the... The aspect I was getting, it still looks very physics affected in terms of the way that you rotate the platforms. I have a couple of counterpoints to that. Yeah, go on then. Firstly, with the puzzle stuff, I didn't see those platforms being used inside once. Assuming they go down the shrine route or something ah, similar. That's something I wanted to bring up. I didn't see one shrine looking room at all in the entire game. Exactly. In my mind, that suggests to me that the shrines are gone and the puzzles are now going to be directly implemented into the environments, which is actually something that I would have loved to have seen more of in Breath of the Wild because it felt very much like if you want to do the puzzles and shit, you got to go down to the shrines. If you want to explore, you go to the overworld. And it was missing what is to me pretty much like a staple of Zelda, which is overworld puzzles as well, sort of thing. And there wasn't enough of that in Breath of the Wild. So to me, that suggests that we're going to see more of that in uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Well, that'll be interesting. I, I will be interested to see how that goes on. I don't have an opinion one way or another at the moment. And the second thing I just want to challenge you on is with these new vehicles specifically, and it's not really challenging you because I don't think you really made a point against this, but do you not think that with a hoverboard that you can essentially tilt and fly like a drone potentially that might put players off or reduce the impact of using the user created methods of transport we said earlier such as stasising a tree like hitting it a bunch of times so that it gets momentum on it jumping on it and then yeah. flying across the map for yeah. example do you think if there's a hoverboard that allows you to fly people are going to be less inclined to do things like that i think it really depends on how they implement this i mean the car looked to me quite rickety during the gameplay and i was wondering did they construct that car out of of some objects have they added some more physics objects now like a motor with axles on that you can attach wheels to or is that car just a car that you spawn and that is the car because it looked to me like it was a little bit constructed in a way not so much with the hoverboard but definitely with the car so i'm hopeful that what it means is in fact that we're going to get much more complexity and combinable items that we can use within the engine of the original game but i do agree with you that if it is just a car then you are going to be de-incentivized to go around and hunting for your horses and doing all the stuff that you were doing in the original game as well so that really could go two ways but what i'm hopeful for is that 
the increased items that you can use and the different properties will actually only just expand the potential for people to create their own devices and vehicles and things like that. I'd love to be able to create your own custom car with legs and things. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and this is very much optimist versus pessimist. Here Absolutely. Because I'm not, yeah. you're excited and I'm not. And I actually reckon it's more likely to be you get that basic chassis that we saw in the trailer. Yeah. And whilst you might be able to add things to it, like different body work and things like that, I don't think there's going to be things like a custom motor that you then attach axles to and you can create your own motor transport lovely thought i'd love to be able if you could build a motorbike out of two blocks with two wheels and something like that if you could do something even close to that i'll be happy yeah i i would love to be on that level but that's wishful thinking in my opinion i I just don't think they're going to do that need to see a lot more of the game really because again as you say two minute trailer you're getting glimpses of everything and you can read a lot into it or you can not and just see it for what it is, you know? <laughs> Although one thing we can say with a certain level of confidence is that it probably is going to be stuff that makes it into the final game because this game has been given a release date of the 12th of May, 2023. Ooh, very shortly after my birthday. So I think that that is a very good one for me to uh, pre-order for myself as a little treat. Or someone else could get it for you, maybe. <laughs> Sacred. <laughs> I was hinting me, actually. Oh. <laughs> but I'm not going to buy it for you because they have confirmed because it's up on the nintendo store for pre-order that it's going to be a 70 dollars game the full 70 dollars a lot of people are outraged by that why that's insane that's just normal pricing for a game (laughs) i think the thing that sucks though is the likelihood of you getting it for less than 60 quid even a long time after release is very small whereas at least with non-nintendo games you're likely to get a discount pretty soon after release so i got breath of the world about two or three years after it came out and it was still 50 quid yeah (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely so with all that said moving on to our final news story again sticking with the nintendo direct because this is sort of a nice feel-good story really depending on how you look at it i suppose warm and cozy inside it makes me feel on these cold winter days (laughs) freezing in the uk (laughs) still cold man what the hell i thought it was going to get warm again but then it's got uh, I can't afford to heat my goddamn home in this temperature cost of living crisis too it's just not gonna happen just living on beans I, I warm myself by the beans that I cook I just warm my hands over the toaster as I go whilst, whilst in a bath of beans <laughs> with candles tea tea candles underneath the bath keeping me warm at a very ambient ambient just above room temperature hell yeah Good for the skin, too. If you say so. No, it's horrible for the skin, I'll tell you what, A lot of sugar. Getting breakouts like a motherfucker over here. <laughs> Good way to get a free spray tan, though. <laughs> this is true. The residual orange is really helping yeah. me out there. In the middle of winter as well, I'm really keeping that tan that I got from Spain. <laughs> anyway, as we re-emerge from that random rabbit hole, <laughs> our feel-good story, if you remember that, is that the Nintendo Switch online and expansion pack offerings are getting some new titles we're getting some game boy and some game boy advance games this uh on the face of it sounds very exciting until you see the list of games and that's you know i'm probably unsuccessful there's there's that's still some unfair. bangers in there i will say yeah. and perhaps i didn't play the uh you know uh, many of those titles i played kobe's dreamland um but the rest of that list was pretty quiet oh dude well let, allow me to educate you here briefly kobe's dreamland wicked game metroid 2 return of samus classic um, I haven't played many Metroids, but I'm interested in playing them. Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins is a f***ing wicked game. Oh, I did, you know, I'm, I tell a lie, I did play a little bit of that. That was a great yeah. Mario game Such as well. Such a good game. Legends of Zelda Link's Awakening DX, wonderful. They've, they've just done the re-release on Switch, which is yeah. also fairly good. But the original is f***ing awesome too. Yes, Tetris, yes. the original game. I, I don't need to say anything more. <laughs> 
Wario Land 3. That's you know, I wanted that one so bad because I uh, Game Boy Advance was like the first Game Boy that I ever got. And I, goddamn, I wanted Wario Land. I never saw it in the stores. And then in the coming soon section, Pokemon Trading Card Game. That is a fucking awesome game. I think you, I played like on the Game Boy Color though, right? Yeah, yeah it's Game Boy Color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. Had the black cartridge. It was damn cool. But yeah, there are some notable omissions. It is criminal, in my opinion, that more of the Pokemon games aren't on there, given that a lot of them are still being played 30 years later and are sort of some of the most popular game things on YouTube and on Twitch and things like that. So it's crazy to me that there aren't more of them included. For me, that is an instant trigger into finally springing for that Nintendo Pass Plus or whatever they're trying to market that gives you the Nintendo 64 titles and everything else yeah. as well. Because I assume that this is locked behind that Plus subscription and not just the base, like, 18 quid a year subscription that we do it does say switch online so oh maybe. okay i might I'll power up my look, switch after but... this yeah i'm gonna take a yeah. little take a little but I, I i'm almost certain that this will be behind the nintendo plus you'd, you'd think so or certainly some of them will be yeah but at the same time the technology is old enough and the nez and snes ones are on the normal service for free so who knows but yeah this is awesome news for me because i have nostalgia for all these games i game boy was one of my first consoles i played a lot of game boy when i was a kid and you know the other interesting thing that comes out of this is obviously along with the surefire nostalgia that this is going to bring which is both good and bad really because you shouldn't sell nostalgia but it works so <laughs> god damn it it works yeah. well it's good on but me that's for sure the interesting thing that i read in this article here again from gamer rant shout outs is that supported games will have online or local co-op available oh so that's that's actually the same as the nes and the snes though you can play yeah. co-op games online as well that well that's fantastic isn't it that opens up a lot of options for players exciting stuff and if it is on the free subscription i look forward to checking out some of these titles potentially with you as well will with the co-op stuff but with that we come to the end of the news so it's time to move on to the finale of our completionist corner for Mass Effect Legendary Edition, Mass Effect 1. Sting coming soon. Sting coming soon. So as we start off with our finale of Mass Effect 1, we left you last week stranded on the Citadel. Our ship's been taken from us by the council. Those damn bastards. Bureaucratic pricks grounding our ship. I'm shaking my fist wildly at them. <laughs> But no, so, we're stranded on the Citadel, all hope is lost, but then we get a little email, a little message from our good buddy Captain Anderson. Is it actually from him, actually, or was it from Joker, and he says Captain Anderson says meet him in flight? I think so it's I from Joker, yeah, I don't think he, the actual message is from Anderson, yeah. Either way, we get in contact with Anderson, and we go meet him in flux. He does not look so fancy out of his work uniform, I gotta say. No, just jamming in a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird to see him like that, yeah. Yeah, he's in, he's in street clothes to greet us here, uh, because obviously he's been grounded himself since the start of the game when uh, he gave us the ship, because he was forced to. <laughs> since he was forced to relinquish control by Ambassador Udina, yeah. <laughs> damn Udina. And we have a little chat with him. He He's as annoyed as we are that we're stuck on the planet. And he offers to help us out. He himself has two methods that he'd like to go with on this he can either try and sneak into the csec sort of security release tower and input the codes to sort of block udina's grounding of our ship or he offers to go to Udina's office and hack into Udina's computer to remove the order manually. Now, you can actually tell him which one you want him to do, or you can make, let him make his own choice. Because I'm a paragon and I consider Captain Anderson my friend, I said, do what you feel comfortable doing, mate. And he, and he decided that he would go and hack Udina's computer. Right. Because the ambassador has made this personal. 
What did you do? How, and how did you go about this situation? So I told him to go to Udina's office because I really, really wanted to see Udina. Like, I was hoping that Udina would be in the office because I was thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe about Anderson beats him up or shoots him or something like that. I was hoping that we might see something. And, and we do. my dreams were answered. My hopes were answered. Exactly, because as we make this decision, there's a cutscene of us going back to the Normandy and getting ready to sort of fly off. And then we get a lovely cutscene of Anderson bursting into Udina's office. Udina being there, sat at his desk and going, Anderson, what the hell are you doing? And Anderson just punches him in the face, knocks him clean out. Direct line walks up to him, not a word spoken between them. I think Udin is still pretty confused. He barely finishes his sentence before he gets knocked out. Yeah, and it's like and it's a clean punch as well with a good sound effect. We liked it. We liked it a lot. Anderson, what are you doing here? I didn't send <laughs> And helpful it was too, because Anderson is able to remove the order, freeing up the Normandy, and we're able to leave the Citadel. The Wet Willy, after knocking him out though, that was entirely unwarranted. But uh, yeah. yeah, a man's got to draw a line. Exactly, and putting his finger in the bowl of hot water to make him piss himself, there was no that, need for that Just either. no need, no need, yeah. honestly. A Anderson, you went too far. But I like it, because yeah, I'm a renegade. I like your style. <laughs> Wild card, baby! <laughs> <laughs> so... We leave the Citadel, and really the only focus we have is getting to Ilos, the planet that we had been shown with the second beacon as being the safe haven for all remaining Protheans to go. So, we head to Ilos. Bit of a patchy landing. Very patchy landing. But Joker is an absolute badass, managed to squeezes in this tiny gap in the maker yeah really really cool stuff there was a lot of bumming and narring in the cutscene before and he's like i can do it caden's just being a whiny bitch panicking but joker just bosses it you know best pilot in the navy yeah he ain't bullshitting when he says that absolutely not and as we land in the mako funnily enough we actually see saren and a bunch of geth just walking through this tunnel on their way to the conduit typical cliche moment he watches us as the shutters close around him yeah Exactly. He shuts down the door and like sees us and then just as we get there, he flips us off <laughs> and, then he, and then the doors close and we're stranded. So what we do is we make an about turn, leaving our Mako at the gate and we go back through a bunch of sort of facility like buildings, I suppose you'd call them more corridors than buildings, I suppose. Kill like a hundred Geth. Kill a bunch of Geth who are guarding various electrical panels and things that we need to use to open the door and I, and I say electrical panels and things that generally because the technology on this planet isn't really like anything we've seen before no you're just walking up to glowing kind of triangle shaped things yeah <laughs> there is one part in that you get into a big firefight right and there was just loads of them i really struggled on the part and then i realized afterwards that there are all these switches around that you can like pull in geth what are those big Geth Leviathans, whatever they're called? Geth Goliaths? I didn't realize you could call those dudes in to help you out. So. Oh, what, in the room where there's like four of them along yeah. the side and you can repair them and then they fight for you? Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. you could do that. No, I just fought through them all and yeah. uh, struggled as a result. No, I did that too and then I turned them all on thinking there'd be more fight and there wasn't. Yeah, they just stay there looking yeah. useless. And then you can't even kill them for experience yourself. No, no. So yeah, no, that was irritating. But we got through it. We opened the gate and we got in the Mako and we started, as is, as we sort of lamented last week, big old drive. Another road trip. This time, the difference being that it was just down a straight line down a single corridor for a f***ing 
in a long time. There Pretty much, yeah. You know, killing the odd Geth here or there. I think potentially we might have gotten out at one point to open an another door or something. It's worth saying it does give you a nice opportunity to see a bit more surface of the planet, though, during that. And it is quite a nice, sort of, it's like a very rust-coloured, decrepit-looking planet, but the scenery is really nice as you're driving through. Yeah, it's kind of foresty. Yeah. There's a bit more vegetation on it than perhaps we've seen in some other planets. But yeah, it's all very different here. It's got a different feel. It does. Is I think it is meant to and does feel ancient. Yes, and absolutely. almost untouched because it's sort of as we'll get to in a conversation we're coming up to it's sort of put over as being sort of relatively off-grid this planet the only people that mention it tali mentions her race tried to settle there once before but it didn't work out i felt i didn't get that because i never had her with didn't me, have but... her in your squad yeah yeah but eventually after killing a bunch and, and when i say a bunch of geth i mean a bunch of geth we, <laughs> yeah, we're killing yeah. lots of geth here in colossi armatures destroyers you name it we were killing them uh, and eventually we get trapped between two yellow force fields. And you're thinking, what the hell? And I think one of my party members even said, ah, someone must want to talk to us. Oh, my guy said Saren set a trap. Gareth said oh, Saren really? set a trap. And Tali said, I don't think this is Saren. Yeah. And uh, so we get out of the car and there's one like passageway off to the side that you can go down. We head down and we are greeted with a, I guess, virtual intelligence. Yeah, it looks like a sort of a semi-corrupted virtual intelligence, but of Prothean origins instead. Yes. And this is very interesting because it is the first time in this game where you're actually able to talk to a Prothean or Prothean-like being directly. Yes. And of course, yeah. because we've had our mind altered so we can think like a Prothean... We can also talk like a Prothean. <laughs> exactly. We can understand it. And I think it also mentions as part of the conversation with it that it also has been listening to us as we've been sort of coming through the facility and has adapted to our language too. That's right, yeah. So that, that allows Rex and Garrus to be able to understand as well so that was quite a nice touch and really this meeting doesn't achieve anything other than filling in a lot of blanks in the story around the protheans and what's happening really so will i'm gonna hand it to you why don't you talk to us a bit about how you spoke to uh, the prothean vi uh, which is called vigil by the way yeah vigil the vi so why don't you talk to, like how did you deal with it i'm assuming you're a bit of an asshole but did you glean any nice bits of information yeah well i basically started the conversation right off the bat with an insult i said that uh, all these protheans that uh, decided to hide themselves in cryostasis in this location as their sort of last hope of survival I basically called them a bunch of pussies for not standing and fighting instead. You also find out that essentially all of the Protheans have died in cryostasis because over time the amount of energy that it took to sustain all of them wasn't able to outlast the amount of time that the Reapers were hunting the Protheans. So one by one he was getting rid of the security forces uh, of various different teams that he didn't consider key personnel until the point where there was only a small number of scientists left and I think they decided that basically they were doomed at that point uh, when they sort of came out of their pods and realized that actually <laughs> there just wasn't enough of them to sustain any sort of new new generation of protheans anymore yeah and it's sort of talking about how you know he picked who he would be sacrificed based on how useful they were and yeah exactly like very yeah. proper dark stuff like good storytelling but quite dark you also find out some very interesting information that the citadel is in fact a giant mass relay which actually connects to a place called the dark space which is where the reapers are currently residing yeah they sort of hibernate off whenever they're not killing organics absolutely 
And when it is time to get back into killing the organics, they essentially just have this massive back door right into the citadel. Yeah, it's also interesting how they do all that because it's explained that it is, in fact, the keepers, uh, the sort of bug-type caretaker aliens that we've referenced in a previous episode, who actually are the ones that trigger the mass relay to be set off in the citadel and essentially what happens or what should happen is the reapers send out a signal when they're ready the keepers then prepare the citadel to be a mass relay and they just come and as will said there they just come through when the mass relay has been opened and they just decimate everything and obviously all this goes on because everyone on the citadel is under strict orders to not interfere with the keepers because they are kind of like uh, you know as you said the caretakers of the entire citadel also the the harbingers of the citadel <laughs> but the interesting thing about it is is that someone has put on a signal on the keepers that is basically a blocking signal so they cannot receive the signal from the reapers which is why sovereign has had to get involved directly and this is a very interesting revelation because it explains why sovereign needs saren because saren is able to get access to the citadel which he can then open and allow sovereign to come in and take direct control itself manually to open the mass fit really for the rest of the reapers interesting point here so this isn't actually where i was expecting the story to go uh, and this is probably because of my uh you know uh experience with the halo franchise but i was expecting to find out that the citadel was essentially uh, a halo device and that it was the trigger for a galaxy-wide extinction event to stop the reapers somehow you know I, in right. my head i was thinking that essentially the mass effect relay had indeed been designed by the protheans or they had changed it in some way to become a weapon for defeating the reapers whenever they were but it hadn't worked and you were going to make it work this time which couldn't be further from the truth, but uh, it was a nice sort of change of events. That's what I was predicting, and it's always nice to be surprised. Fair, yeah. Always good to be swerved like that, I suppose. Yeah, I thought the I thought the Citadel was a giant weapon, like a giant gun, basically. And all the mass relays <laughs> were kind of giant guns, rather than uh, being sort of, sort of giant teleporters. Or also having a dual function as being a giant teleporter. And the final thing we learn from Vigil is we learn what the conduit is that we've been sort of referencing this whole time. And it turns out the conduit is actually just a portal mass relay to get you inside the citadel that's really all it is basically it's a mini mass relay straight to the citadel yeah, yeah. and it's actually interesting because earlier on in the game when we're doing missions on the citadel you do see a mass relay looking structure in the middle of like the waterworks almost like a water feature so you do which you don't really pay attention to which you don't pay any attention to at all but this is in fact where we pop out when we go through the conduit so interesting stuff it's really cool how they tied it all together I yes thought. yeah but yeah, so you exhaust all the dialogue options with Vigil. I'm assuming Will called him a prick and then left. Basically. <laughs> yeah. But what he does do is he gives you a data disk that when we get to the Citadel, we can upload it into the Citadel and basically it will allow Vigil's system to not react to what Sovereign wants to do and it will allow total control of the system, which can then allow you to sort of block the Mass Effect be relay being opened. So at this point, we say our bias to Vigil. Uh, will probably shot him in the head somehow. <laughs> I, I tried to. Yeah. I did. I if you actually watch the stream, I did try to shoot him in the head, or at least did I said actually? I wanted to. Well, I mean, you know, I was like, shoot the fucking hologram. In the head. It's like it doesn't have a head. It's just a disembodied voice with lights, basically. But no. So after that, we get back in the car. Another little fucking drive later, and you can try and kill some of the geth on the way, but you get like a ten second timer or whatever it is. It's like a thirty second thing. Yeah, you really kind of need to beeline it, and you drive the. Fucking 
fucking Mako into a mass relay, yeah. which I thought was cool as fuck. I just love the yeah. idea that these things that were essentially, I mean, obviously that one's kind of a mini one. It's obviously designed for people as well, but yeah. this, these things are ultimately for ships to fly through and we just sort of sent the Mako in. Really cool stuff. And, and the reason we have the time limit is because Saren's already gone through, so it's closing. Yeah, we got a short window of time to get through as well. The Mako gets shot through and we land just in the Citadel. The Mako crashes, uh, we, but we're obviously all fine. Uh, and the Citadel is a complete mess. It's been completely overrun by Geth. Um, because of this, whilst we've been sort of off doing all this, uh, the Geth forces led by Sovereign and Saren have started attacking the Citadel. Um, although there is a force ready and waiting because, as we mentioned last week, the Council did say that they would get uh, the fleet ready to defend the Citadel. So at least that was something. Yeah, they were kind of waiting for Saren to come to them inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not knowing that they's going to come through the fucking back door, but they. It's also just weird as well, given the Citadel has such a high residential population and stuff like that. They weren't like, yeah, let's keep him away from the people. They're like, no, 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 we'll just wait till he's right on our doorstep and then do our best, I guess. I think in their defense, they do evacuate the Citadel, but. Only once it's being attacked, sort of thing. Like, they know that <laughs> attack is coming at some point. They surely don't think that Saren's just sat on the other side on Ilos, like, doing nothing. So obviously, he's going to do something. But they only trigger the evacuation once really goes down. <laughs> <laughs> so we arrive through the mass relay and uh, essentially what we have to do is we have to run and gun our way to the main council chamber so that we can upload this software and uh, get gain control of the citadel so we run through a few corridors kill some geth uh, nothing too exciting at this stage but then we get to an elevator and as we're going down the elevator we get a little cut scene of saren sort of starting to take control that's right and what happens is he powers down the elevator but also he starts to close the citadel, which will sort of trap anyone in there. But also Sovereign gets in and it basically protects Sovereign so that Sovereign can do what it needs to do whilst the fleets are busy with the Geth, sort of on the outside of the citadel walls, if you like. At this point, if you want to imagine the citadel as a flower that's blossomed and then it closes up to protect the central bit where Sovereign is hiding out and uh, that's essentially the main obstacle is you're trying to get the flower to open again. Very nice description. Uh, and yes, so what happens here, because we're in a lift that's been stopped, we have to jump outside and continue our path sort of along the walls of the citadel and this is done with our space masks on and you get this it's anti-gravity almost so you can sort of stand on the on the walls if you like and run about i thought i noticed that and also my my push and lift abilities were really coming into their own because the moment i force yeah. push someone they went absolutely flying now exactly really cool stuff the physics in this game is excellent at yeah very certain points around good old so. ragdoll but yes and this is sort of another one of these sort of trench gauntlet type sections i suppose we're running and gunning killing geth along the way various different types there's one section that's got a bunch of geth turrets that you need to take out uh, all whilst being shot back by geth as well and some krogan just chucked in for good measure bunch of mercenaries potentially some of them clones left over from uh, vermeer so after killing all of these geth we finally get to the part of the building that will allow us to access the citadel tower and we walk up to the citadel tower and we are greeted by our nemesis well if it isn't saren yeah saren's just jamming there controlling a terminal. Also worth noting at this point that Sovereign has latched itself onto the outside of the building and is currently doing its thing. And at this point, we have another little standoff with Saren where we're sort of hiding behind um, some cover and Saren's out in the open and we're having a little conversation again. My guy was, again, trying to paragon the hell out of Saren, telling him it's not too late. But Saren's explained that, at least in my one, because I, I tried to talk him out of it on Vermeer. And Saren states that Sovereign has sensed his wavering mind and oh, his right, doubt. Oh, right, okay. 
<laughs> and uh, has therefore implanted Saren. And what this means is that Saren basically is His even free more will or even any sort of shadow of a free will is now yeah. gone, right? Well, he has he has a smidge left, which we'll get into shortly, um, because you are able to talk him around. And if you have Max Paragon, which I do, keep selecting those Paragon dialogue options, the ones that are highlighted blue. And eventually, Saren, you do talk him around and he's like, I can't end this and I can't join you. It's too late for me, sort of thing. But he's like, but I can sort of help. And then he shoots himself in the head. Right, okay. Really cool twist. Yeah. Because it's like, so Saren, I, you know, he eventually does the right thing. He kind of redeems himself a bit, yeah. And what this actually also means from a gameplay perspective is that I was able to skip phase one of this boss fight, which is, you know, essentially Saren on his hoverboard again, if from memory. just Yeah, that's it. While a few waves of uh, Geth are coming in and attacking yeah. you at the same time. That's how I did it. How did you get on with the Renegade style? Well, I, I certainly wasn't as charming as you were, for starters. I essentially basically just called him a brainwashed coward, told him that in response to him saying that organic beings are kind of also needed in this future with the Reapers, they need men of action, as he puts it, that they've also recognised my talents. I tell him that there's no way I'm willing to be a slave to the Reapers, he's a fool, and uh, pull your gun out and fight me, basically. So, on to the first fight with Saren. And this was quite a challenging one for me, I've got to say. I'm playing this game on hard mode, and I was getting wiped out quick. Because at the very start of the battle, you have one of the more difficult Geth enemies running straight at you. Probably a destroyer. That's it, a Geth destroyer. Whilst you also have Saren buzzing around on his hoverboard, shooting a mixture of bullets at you, as well as grenade rounds, which ignore your shields and just damage your health. And am I correct in saying that whereas on Vermeer, he never flies behind you... In the Citadel, he does, right? There's, like, no safe space in that yeah. room. I've tried all sorts of different ways, and honestly, you know, I died to this guy more than I've died to some <laughs> bosses in Dark Souls. I'll tell oh, you wow. that much. Like, seriously struggled. I was getting peppered from every angle. Every time I thought I found a strat that works, it didn't. Died so many times before I essentially stayed at the very top of the room, completely ignored all the gear, and just traded overload abilities between myself and Tali. So we just kept Saren in a constant state of being unable to fire his gun, because it was constantly overheated. And we just <laughs> sat there taking turns and potshotted him. And honestly, that was the easiest way I did it. That's almost like a last resort strat. It's clever. I like it. But that, that can't have been fun or um, engaging. It requires quite a bit of coordination between cooldowns and managing things. It was satisfying, I would say. I was starting to lose my enjoyment for it, just given the amount of times I died before. It was kind of at the point where yeah. I was like, oh, thank God, I've found a strat that actually works now, you know? <laughs> I played it on hard mode because I did want to experience a challenge. And especially, you know, if there were challenging parts in the game, I wanted to feel that challenge. So, you know, I came out of it satisfied with a victory in the end. But yeah, that was, uh, it was testing my patience a little bit. <laughs> I can imagine because I know that uh, with waves and things, with Saren getting behind you, that can't have been fun. So I appreciate that because I, I have done that phase one before. But yeah. Um, I think regardless of whichever way you choose, though, the result ends up the same. Saren's dead, limp body drops through a glass floor into a below section, which isn't ominously looking like a second boss arena or anything like that. I mean, Honestly, God, at that like, point, I wasn't expecting it. I just saw, you know, a really? massive glass shard pierce him through his abdomen and the blood came out. Typical Resident Evil sign that the character is truly dead. When they lie on the floor and the blood comes out, they're dead. Yeah. And you see, weirdly, the first time I played this game, like I saw that and I was like, okay, there's definitely a phase two. 
Right, okay. Because okay. I was just like, that is so clearly a boss arena that he's fallen <laughs> into. Um, but at this point, we don't know that it's a boss arena. Epic foreshadowing. And once you see all that, you walk over to the terminal, you upload the data disk given to you by Vigil, and what this does is it gives control back of the Citadel station to you. This re-establishes the comm links, which allows Joker, your pilot, to radio in and say, Captain, Captain, we've, we've got a problem. Uh, the, the the Destiny Ascension's nearly destroyed. What, what should we do? And the Destiny Ascension being the the ship that the Council is on, and it's like the main flagship of the uh, the Council race fleet, if you like. And Joker Spacey says, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to save the Council or do you want to focus the fleet's fire on Sovereign? Because the first thing you do when you open up the terminal is obviously get comms back, but it also reopens the Citadel so the fleet can now get at Sovereign. That's right. Will, what choice did you make here? Well, they do say uh, during this section that there is a potential for a lot of human life to be lost in the pursuit of protection for the Council. And... Otherwise, I also did think that Sovereign does seem to be the biggest enemy here. And you know what? I'll be the first one to say I've snubbed the council many times on our phone calls and in our meetings and pretty much any interaction I have with them, in fact. But they started it, okay? They called me a goddamn <laughs> liar on episode one, and I was not having it. They should have listened to me from the start. They brought this on themselves, and they grounded me as well, because ultimately they started chumming up with Udina, and look where it got them dead yeah. that's where it got them because i chose so. to fuck the council <laughs> focus all fire on sovereign he's the big bad we need to kill him goodbye council <laughs> can't say i'm surprised that that's the way you did it man uh, i obviously paragon the shit out of it and i saved the council but much like everything else in mass effect i think regardless of what path you choose it doesn't really affect the outcome too much apart from some slightly different things happening in mass effect 2 and 3 but before we get into all that and the impact of the decision we do get a little cutscene, certainly in my perspective at least where um the destiny ascension was saved just basically they fight off the geth fleet and destiny ascension makes it safety and therefore the council survive my cutscene essentially involved joker flying through during the fight and uh it cuts to two asari on board the ship that have the council on board and they go oh you know we're sending out a distress signal we really need help and then they go oh, he just cut us off joker just flicks <laughs> off a switch on his thing and cuts off comms uh, and then you watch as they get destroyed, <laughs> basically. Oh, right, nice. You, they, they sort of like look at each other like, well, this is it. <laughs> but no, so at this point, um, Shepard sends off the two, whichever two companions you're with at this point. I was with Garrus and Rex. And in my boys. case, I had Tali and Garrus. Nice. Uh, you send them off to go make sure Saren's really dead. Garrus puts a bullet straight in the head. Oh, for me, it was Rex. All right, Rex. okay, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, by all accounts, Saren is dead. However, I thought I mentioned earlier that someone had put an implant in him. He's got some upgrades since the last he time. He does. And also, as we've sort of mentioned before, but as it's worth repeating here, you see him visually throughout the game, and he's very clearly cyborg. Modded to fuck. The guy's looking yeah. like he's from Cyberpunk or something. As Will says, one of our crew members shoots him in the head. You think, oh yeah, he's definitely dead. Sovereign sends out a signal, doesn't he? And then this fucking... All of his me metallic stuff sort of all springs to life and you get this sort of four-legged dark beast pal looking motherfucker on four legs with saren's head and it, and it's really gruesome and he can do the thing that those frog type enemies we've described before jump can yeah do, like unfortunately the they're wall. my least favorite enemy and he behaves pretty much exactly like them yeah <laughs> and what is different between the legendary edition and the original mass effect game is at least from memory is that in the original mass effect game you just fight this sort of 
spider saren we'll call him <laughs> but the interesting thing on the legendary edition is that there is additional cover in the arena that you're fighting in and there are waves of geth and, and i don't remember that being in the original i remember it just being a fight with spider saren so that's kind of neat but again probably probably worth sort of deferring to you on how this fight went down because on, i played on normal mode and for me it was pretty routine Bit of a breeze <laughs> yeah so how about you man how, how was it on hard mode so this was another tough fight and honestly i was quite surprised to be having this fight I was pretty surprised that Saren did come back, given that he had a massive glass shard impaled through his chest, and uh, he'd been sort of pretty much cast aside at that point. So yeah, very surprised to be having this fight. A little bit dismayed to find out that those uh, Geth were also coming in. I was hoping that this might be a bit more of a straightforward fight. As I say, my patience was starting to wane sort of thing on that last one. So yeah, I was ready for this to be over a little bit at that point. Yeah. I did eventually take him out, but what I gotta say, and this is a big gripe that I've got, this is a real like hallmark of the age of an older game, is that you will have a cutscene halfway through the boss fight that you cannot skip, so that if you die the first time round, you are forced to watch the entirety of the cutscene again. And this happens about once you've got like a third of his health off, that then you get a cut to sort of the ongoing battle between Sovereign and the fleet and the rest of the Geth army. So, yeah, I mean, that was quite frustrating to have to sit through quite so many times, and ultimately my teammates at that point were being pretty useless. It, it became more of a absolutely the whole time monitoring all of their cooldowns. We were trying to make the most of using my Adrenaline Rush, which resets my cooldown abilities whilst I can revive my squad. It was a lot of sort of biotic ability balancing and trying to make sure that I used all of them effectively in that fight. Quite tough. I did eventually get through it after changing my pistol. I moved away from the burst fire pistol that I was using last week and went to something that was a single shot, slow firing, but it did a lot of damage. And that was the thing in the end that cracked it for me. I was able to, to beat him using that. A bit more accuracy sort of thing, getting those headshots, making them count. And I think that's why I had such a breeze because I majored in the sniper. And when he's sitting on the wall doing the equivalent of the sniper beam that the frog guys would do, you can just absolutely rinse this guy. I was playing a very close up battle in this game and I was really enjoying the balancing that these last couple of fights made you do because it was really forcing me to use my shield boost which regens a bit of shield also the kind of the overcharge ability I think uh, what, I, uh, that's definitely not the name of what it's called but it gives you like a brief period of invulnerability for your shield at least explosions will still hurt you making sure that I use all of those abilities at the right time and to the best opportunity to deal sort of like quick windows of loads of damage and then retreat back sort of thing. It's a cool playthrough. Really enjoyed it. We got there in the end. We did it! Saren was finally beaten and after Saren's second body just sort of disintegrates, we get another cutscene where the fleet start really hitting home on Sovereign now because now we've sort of sorted it. Saren's dead. You can go! Go kill him! But just before we sort of the fleet takes out sovereign it's fine a sort of final act of defiance it does laser beam a bunch of ships and tries its best but ultimately shields get taken out it's a sitting duck because it's still attached to the citadel but can't do yeah. anything it's lost control and eventually the fleet destroys sovereign and all is well until you realize that as sovereign is falling off the building a bunch of debris is now flying directly towards the council chamber that you're standing in all you see is you see or at least in my case all you see is you see shepherd sort of pushing rex and garrus out of the way almost like making the save as this debris is coming towards him and then it cuts away to the sort of aftermath yeah people are coming to try and find you guys in the rubble of the citadel tower they find again in my case rex and garrus and in my case tarly and garrus looking really sad 
Um, and uh, I forget, it's either Anderson or just a random guard. I it's Anderson. Who sort of says, uh, Where's the commander? And Rex just sort of, in my one, just looked down really sadly and then sort of pointed over to where this debris was. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's looking really sad and solemn. Everyone's, you know, about to cry. And then... Out comes Shepard running through the smoke and flames. Big smile on his face like, yeah, we f***ing took out the guy. We did it. You get the Mass Effect music playing in the background. Everyone's all smiles and happy. And, you know, that's basically it. You fast forward to... In my case, the council <laughs> being very, very <laughs> pleased that I saved, was able to save them as well as saving the day. Uh, presumably in Will's case, it was f***ing no one. <laughs> no, so in my case, it was actually Udina and Anderson. The council's been decimated and Udina is essentially implying that the alien races need a strong leadership and because of the events of the game and the fact that Shepard had sort of shown unflinching, unyielding resolve in terms of hunting down Saren, they were like, oh, we like that. That's kind of what we needed to defeat this threat. So I vote that the humans are on the council. Udina is very happy. He really likes the idea that the humans are on the council. At that point, you also appoint the chairman of the council. You can choose between Udina and Anderson. Now, I'm not a complete psychopath, so I did pick Anderson. Because <laughs> uh, I can't imagine a worse outcome than having Udina as the chairman of the Galactic Council. <laughs> and yeah, that was essentially kind of the rundown there, is that Anderson will now take over as the chairman, and the council from now on will be a race of humans. Mine was slightly different. The council were obviously still alive in my one. They were very grateful that I'd saved them and still managed to save the Citadel, despite suffering more human losses than we could have they recognized humanity's value as a result of the war and said we do want to offer you a seat on the council so similar outcome but as opposed to leading it will just be a seat on it mm, mm. they said there'd be a voting process but that my word as a specter and as the sort of face of the human saviors if you like my word would carry a lot of weight so i'd have a choice between udina and anderson similar to you and i decided to take the paragon soldiers route and say i'm going to stay out of the politics i'll let you decide that udina was very pleased with my decision he was like yeah <laughs> yeah think- well i'll take it then if you don't want it, I'll take it. No, he was just like, I think that's fair. Like, put it to the vote or whatever. And my understanding is that the default option when you pick this is that Udina becomes the council representative. Uh, which, honestly, I think is probably the most fitting way for the Paragon one to roll. Like, Anderson... I, I do know what happens if Anderson becomes the councilman, because that's what I did in my Renegade playthrough. And I think that you could make a case for both, because Udina's a massive prick, so yeah, you know, I didn't yeah. get it. But yeah, we both came to a similar outcome. I'm assuming that you then got the credits roll and you got the nice picture of your character standing on a screen with a nice background looking all awesome and shit. And then um, at that point we ran into a little bit of problems with my stream uh, because it started playing some music which was uh, then swiftly muted and uh, unfortunately during the Twitch stream that I will upload uh, it'll probably be missing like the first 30 seconds of audio. And also strangely during this recording process as well I actually must have left two audio inputs on so my voice is sort of slightly overlaid with like a like a few milliseconds difference either that or you were becoming a guest kind of sound like i'm slowly turning into one a bit like saren was so i'm yeah. gonna play that off as intentional and uh, just ignore everything i've set up until this point Liar! but with that everyone mass effect one ticked off the list chapter one in the books baby so will now that with that chapter's finished, what were your thoughts in general on the game? What did you think of Mass Effect 1? Was there anything you disliked? Anything you really particularly liked? Talk to me. So in terms of the things I really liked about this game, I think a lot of the 
talking interactions work really well. And although that they, as we've sort of said throughout this, they don't often generate a completely different outcome. It adds a lot of flavor in terms of your character, in terms of additional lines that your crew say. Uh, the fact that as you bring different crew members along, you'll get different insights from them. And that'll often be guided by your preference of who you like the most. You know, so I'm sure there's stuff that you know about Rex the Krogan that I haven't listened to because I haven't been taking him along on my missions and vice versa with Tali. So, I, you know, I like all of that. Uh, I thought that that worked really well. How about you? I'll sort of jump on the back of that and agree. I particularly enjoyed that as well whenever you go in the lift. Um, depending on who you've got with you, they can have interactions between each other. Um, I, I always appreciated that. I really, really, really love this game. I've got a lot of time for it. Obviously, nostalgia plays a big part in that. I've played it numerous times. The things that I really enjoyed about the most about it, um, aside from the obvious things like the story, which I think is just excellent throughout. Mm, yeah, it's a very kind of like uh, campy sci-fi space saga, and I love it. But the other thing that I really enjoyed about this game is that whilst a lot of the side quests and things like that were sort of a very similar formula, I liked how... All of the side quests, bar none, in some way tied in with the lore of what was going on in the universe around you. Yes. Yeah, they, they was felt very connected. Yeah, everything was sort of had its bearing on other things. Like, you know, an example would be you find data on Ferros saying that samples of the Thorian spores have been sent to other planets and you don't really think anything of it. But then later on, there's a mission you do tracking down Cerberus, who are like a, a terrorist group, and you go on a planet and they've got Thorian creepers. It's kind of like attention to detail in these games is, is very yeah. good. Yeah, And more of this happens because in Mass Effect 2 and 3, various story beats get carried through as part of the trilogy, very, very typical Biowarefare. And there's all sorts of stuff that links back to science quests you've done even just like minor references and stuff and, and i find all that really cool i love this game but it's not a perfect game there are things that aren't ideal i thought that the combat in the first game was a little bit basic i think they could have done a lot more with it it's for sure the weakest of all of them not even a contest yeah you're right but i also thought that some of the abilities whilst cool on paper they could have done a bit more with the bells and whistles of the animations mm, and mm. some of the effects did you have any sort of negative takes you wanted to make about the game my main gripe with this game more than anything was the controls so it's more of a sign of the you know a sign of the times that it was released but i did find certain things quite frustrating in terms of your ai bodies will consistently run in front of where you're shooting and they do actually block bullets as opposed yeah. to the bullet traveling through them which like your be gun actually physically goes up and you can't shoot like, yeah it's yeah. tough it's tough. It's really annoying. Yeah. Also, the way that the cover system works is is quite clunky, and again, it's it's just more of a sign of the age of the game. But I think that. If they had really gone the whole hog and given the Mass Effect trilogy the respect it deserves, they would have brought Mass Effect 1 a bit more up to speed with the later games in terms of the way the cover system and the combat works a bit. I would have liked to have had the cover system be a bit less sticky. I was finding myself in some of the later battles going into cover when I didn't want to because you just automatically do it when you have your gun out if you press into the cover, when sometimes I just want to kind of run against the cover but not necessarily like lock onto it. So that was a bit of a challenge, as well as the fact that you can't hop over cover, you can only hide behind it and then walk around it. But I was finding the situations that essentially, when you're in cover and you're being shot, if you want to get away from the cover, you have to be very positive with that input to move away from the cover, and there's still a delay in doing it. So that sort of thing just makes the game, uh, you know, a little bit harder to play. Uh, and it's, it's again, it's, it's not a criticism of the Mass Effect title, it's more of a criticism of the way that the Legendary Edition was handled, but I, I think ultimately 
ultimately still retains the exact same feel as the original game so i don't think you're going to be disappointed by that it's just a minor gripe i had in some of the more challenging sections no and i think it's a fair gripe that would have been the obvious thing to improve can't say i'm disappointed that they didn't because mass effect one is mass effect one but again, that's but that's my nostalgia talking. There's no reason to be disappointed with it sort of thing, because otherwise, without fundamentally changing the game and bringing it up to date... Well, they would have had to recode the whole game. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, and also, yeah, so to do the things that I'm hoping for, again, would have required a recode. They couldn't have just, like, stuck all of the control schemes into Mass Effect 1 and just copied all the maps. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it would have been a remake <laughs> rather than a remaster. But yeah, so with that, I think we're both in agreement that we would recommend Mass Effect 1 to anyone. Uh, definitely recommend it to anyone who's a fan of RPGs. The story alone is worth experiencing firsthand. So if there's anyone out there that still hasn't played it at this point. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> in summary, play Mass Effect 1. Really good game. And very much looking forward, when we do get round to it, to playing Mass Effect 2 with all of the additional context that I now have after playing the first one through to completion. But that brings us to the end of Mass Effect and Chapter 1 of Completionist Corner. Will, why don't you tell the listeners what we're going to be doing for Chapter 2 of Completionist Corner? Yes, James. This is a title that I've been looking forward to playing with you for a long time, uh, even before the conception of the podcast, actually. This is a game that I was looking forward to you playing because ultimately there is so much intrigue in this title. There is so much unexplained wildness going on and interesting visuals and story turns and beads that I could not wait to start discussing this with you. James, I'm very excited to announce that the game that we will be playing next for Completionist Corner is... Death Stranding Director's Cut. Just a little bit of a blurb here for the listeners. From legendary game creator Hideo Kojima comes a genre-defying experience, now expanded in the definitive Director's Cut. As Sam Bridges, aka Norman Reedus, your mission is to deliver hope to humanity by connecting the last survivors of a decimated America. Can you reunite the shattered world one step at a time? So, in my eyes, uh, this is a game that very quickly shot up to some of my top games of all time. I reckon this is easily within my top 10 list of games now. Uh, I think that the description of this game being a genre-defying experience is very apt. I'm just really looking forward to sharing this experience with someone that hasn't played this barely at all, James. I think you've stuck about 30 minutes from my understanding uh, of yourself into this game and you very much got a whole world to explore ahead of you. At most two hours. It definitely wasn't a very long time at all and I think a lot of that was cutscene. Yes, the game has a very long uh, build-up and it just kind of right out the bat just chucks a load of stuff at you that makes no sense until you've played the game for like another eight hours. So, <laughs> uh, I'm apprehensive, I've got to say, but I am looking forward to seeing where it goes. All the gameplay I've seen in terms of what I've experienced myself and video sort of packages where it's done everything that's very samey so i'm a bit concerned that it's going to get stale real quick but i do know that it's a kojima game and i do know that he takes you on pretty wild journeys so we'll see we'll see as you say i'm pretty much completely blind i have played a couple of hours or so as i say but i really didn't get very far at all i think i did one delivery yeah and then got to a new cut scene so i'm certainly willing to see how it goes and uh, looking forward to the journey if nothing else absolutely and that journey will begin on our episode next week so with that we come to the end of the show thank you to our listeners who've made it this far we really appreciate you If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. 
We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. Where right now you can catch all of the Mass Effect stream in its entirety in various VODs. I don't think it's all one video, but still, go check it out. <laughs> yeah, we're on like 10 parts now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Including one part where Will's muted and sounds like a gaff. <laughs> With that, Will, pleasure as always. Listeners, thank you again. Thanks again, listeners. We'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye now. Bye-bye.